Good morning, good morning, good morning. Come on back in, find a seat. For those of you that um, I haven't had a, a chance to meet yet, um, I'm Ben Schultz um, here on staff at the church. Uh, Pastor Jonathan, who was uh, originally planning to speak this morning, uh, wasn't feeling well. Um, that's why he's not here this morning. If you, if you were looking for him, um, he's not here. So be praying for him um, that he'll be uh, well and back again soon. But I'm here to share with you this morning. And I need to confess that I have an illness. It's not COVID. Um, I have an illness, and I've been diagnosed, or rather self-diagnosed, with chronic tomorrowitis. <laughs> if you've never heard of tomorrowitis, that's okay. I kind of just made it up. Tomorrowitis is this unhealthy habit of always pushing things off until tomorrow. Can anybody relate with that? Always figuring that tomorrow it'll be easier to deal with. Tomorrow will be a better day to confront that. Like, you know, when you have to have the, you, you know you have to make a difficult phone call, you have to call someone, and you're like, I just don't have time for that phone call today. Tomorrow I'll probably have more time for that. I'll do it tomorrow. And you know what the problem is? By the, today, by the time that tomorrow becomes today, you feel the same way, and it happens again and again, and again. And it happens with all kinds of things. You know, I really, really don't have time to read my Bible today, but tomorrow I'm sure I'll have more time in my schedule. I don't have enough time to take one of my kids out for, for lunch today, but tomorrow is going to be a really good day. And it's not just tomorrow, it's next week is going to be easier. Next month my schedule is going to free up a little bit. Next year, that's going to be my year. Does anybody, anybody relate to what I'm talking about? Some of you have maybe have your own case of tomorrowitis. Um, others, though, have a different issue, um, and that's commonly known as the Uncle Rico syndrome. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Uncle Rico, he's a character from the, uh, the movie Napoleon Dynamite. He's Napoleon's uncle. And Uncle Rico is a washed-up football player who's constantly saying things like, if only the coach had put me in that fourth quarter, we've been state champs, no doubt. He, he's living in the past this fantasy that he is some football hero, and he could have been, what could have been if only, and always wishing for those old glory days. And some of us do that as well. Remember like, oh, remember back when, back when, back before we had kids and we had a lot more free time, or back before I got in debt, or, or whatever it might be, remembering back when. And uh, too often we find ourselves focusing too much on what's behind us. You know, a question or something I hear a lot these days is, I can't wait till things go back to normal. I mean, you guys, if you find yourself saying that, when are things going to be normal again? When am I going to be done in this season of life that I'm in? And uh, there's, a, there's a point in the, in the Bible where Jesus' disciples asked him a similar question. And so I want to look at that today because I think Jesus' response to his disciples uh, gives us a really valuable lesson. Okay, so this, this story we're going to look at, this is kind of near the end of Jesus's ministry here on earth. It's near the end of his life. And he begins to teach his disciples, speak more plainly to his disciples about what's to come. He talks about his death and his resurrection and his coming kingdom. And his disciples, quite understandably so, don't quite get what he's talking about. They don't quite understand he's talking about death and resurrection in the spiritual kingdom. They're hoping 
they're hoping that he is going to overthrow the Roman occupation and set up a new kingdom, a new government, and take charge. So when he starts talking about big changes are coming, they get excited, and they ask this question. They say, when's this going to happen? They're excited for this. So I'm looking in, in Matthew chapter 24 is where the question shows up. Um, this is in verse 3. They're on their way out of Jerusalem, and Jesus is talking about how much uh, Jerusalem is going to be changed. And the disciples ask him, they say, when is this going to happen? What's the sign that this is going to happen? They say, when will be the end of this age? When will be the end of this age? No, meaning not when will every, the whole earth be destroyed. They meaning, they're meaning, when will this season come to an end? And the new thing that you have, when will that begin? It's a great question. And as Jesus does, if you read the stories of Jesus, you will notice whenever he's asked a difficult question, he usually responds with another question. Or, in this case, with a story. That's usually what he does when he's asked a difficult question. Uh, it's a good trick to do if you want to um, be a little more like Jesus, is answer difficult questions with stories. So he responds with actually a couple chapters of teaching and story. And we're just going to look at one of the stories that he shares and see how that helps us think, this, think about this question. So the story I want to look at is in Matthew 25. So if you're in 24, it's the next chapter. Um, so Matthew 25, verse 14 is where it starts. This story that he tells is often called the parable of the talents. And I think you'll see why it's called that. Uh, and a quick note, if you're not familiar with a parable, a parable is just a short story that teaches a lesson. Uh, so Jesus just gives him this little example, made-up example, just to drive home his point. So it's a story that Jesus told to teach a lesson. And so in keeping with that theme, uh, I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to paraphrase it. I'm going to tell you the story uh, as if Jesus was telling the story. So there was a businessman, and he was very, very wealthy. And he was planning to take a trip to the space station. Apparently, that's what wealthy businessmen do these days. But he didn't want to leave his wealth unattended while he was gone. So he called his three best employees, and he divvied up his wealth to his three best employees to manage while he was gone. To the first employee, he gave $5,000. I know you're probably thinking if he's wealthy, he probably has more than that, but bear with me. So to the first employee, he gives $5,000 to manage. To the second employee, he gives $2,000 to manage. And to the, the third employee, he gives $1,000 to manage. And he says, there's my money. I'll be gone for a while. Take good care of it. I'll be back. And he's gone. So uh, as soon as he left, the employees got right to work, uh, and they began investing the money. So the first employee, um, being a wise in, with money, wise financially, went to the stock market, invested it, did some trading, and he was actually did such a good job, he was able to double his money. So he started with 5000 He doubled it. He ended with um, $10,000. The second employee, very similar, had $2,000, went to the stock market, did some trading, some investing, and at the end was able to double his money and ended up with $4,000. The third employee. The third employee knew that this businessman was a very wealthy businessman and that he expected a good return on his money, as any businessman would. 
And he was worried. Well, I only have a thousand. That's not a lot to invest. I probably won't make a ton of money with this. He was worried about not making enough. So he decided to hide the money away. And he literally hid it in a hole in the ground behind his house just to make sure it was safe. When the businessman returned, safe and sound, he called his three employees into his office and said, all right, how, how did things go while I was gone? The first employee said, uh, showed him the $10,000. Said, you gave me five, I doubled it, I got 10,000. Uh, and the businessman was like, awesome, good job. Second employee steps up, says, I also doubled it. Started with 2,000, I got 4,000. Great, you're doing awesome. Third guy, how did you do? Uh, and imagine, he's probably thinking, he probably doubled it, and he probably has $2,000, right? He says, uh, well, I was worried that I wasn't going to make that much, and you were going to be mad that I didn't make that much, so instead I hit it. But here it is. Here's the $1,000 exactly like you gave it to me. Maybe a little dirty because I buried it in the ground, but other than that, it's just like you left it. Guess what? Businessman was not happy with that. Thumbs down for that guy because he said, you knew that I expected money. I expected a return. And so you thought the best idea was to hide it. Explain to me why that would have been a good idea. So he said, take the $1,000 you have and you give it to the one who has $10,000 because I know he's going to do something good with it. And you get your stuff, clean out your desk, get out, you're fired. The point of this story, if you're following here, is that God will reward those who are faithful with what they have been given. God will reward those who have been faithful with whatever he has given them. And that's a really good lesson for us to learn from this story. But you've got to ask yourself a question. How does that story answer the disciples' question? Remember, they said, when is this season going to be done? And Jesus tells them a story about being faithful with what you have. Instead of telling his disciples when their life was going to get better, he told them how to live until it does. You see what I'm saying? He st- I said, I'm not going to tell you when the age is coming. I'm not going to tell you when you're going to be done with this season. I'm not going to tell you when things are going to get all better. I'm just going to tell you to be faithful with what you have right here and right now. And you will be rewarded for that. Amen? Amen. All right. Someone's, someone's with me. So the first step here for us is to recognize that Jesus has, in fact, given every single one of us something worth investing. That's the first thing we can see in this story here. Story starts um, in the beginning of Matthew with, or beginning of Matthew 25 there. He starts with the businessman calling them in and distributing them. If you have your Bibles, you'll see there it says the one he gave uh, five talents. Just a, a quick note, talent um, there doesn't refer to like your talent, like your ability. The word talent there is a denomination of money. It was like a, um, they say, some scholars said it was about $1,000 worth of money. Um, so it's just a, a, um, a denomination of money. So he gives five talents to the first one and three or two talents to the next one and one talent to the next. And then there's this little phrase in there that I think is super, super important for, it, for us to catch. It says, he gave to each according to their ability. You guys see that? Um, if you have a Bible that you're allowed to underline in, 
um, I, I would recommend you underline that to each according to his ability. Because sometimes we look at others and we say, wow, man, that Pastor John's really good at playing guitar or uh, Pastor Chris is really, really smart. And you look around and you say, wow, these other people have these incredible, incredible gifts. How come God didn't give me that stuff? And you got to realize that he has given each of us gifts according to our abilities, according to what he had in mind. So don't miss that important note there. And in fact, I would even interpret that for what I, the lesson I have today to say, he's given to each according to the season that you are in. When you are younger, you're going to have different gifts that God's given you as opposed to when you are a little bit older. And so don't be envious of somebody else's gifts if they're in a different season of life than you're in. So God has given each one of us something worth investing. In fact, I think it might be really good if you're wrestling with this to tell yourself, God has given me something worth investing. Everybody say that. God has given me something worth investing. Okay? Nobody is off the hook. Nobody has nothing. Everybody has something given to them by God. So um, the question then, you know I'm going to ask you this question, what has God given you? Has God given you a family? Do you have a spouse and children that you can invest in? Do you have a job? Maybe coworkers, maybe employees, maybe customers. Do you have people that you could invest your life in? Maybe you don't work that much with people. Maybe there's a product or a system or something that God's put you there, that's given to you that you can invest in. Maybe you're, maybe you're unemployed or retired and maybe you have more free time that God has given you and you can invest that. Maybe you are, maybe you are wealthy. Maybe you've done well and you have some you know, actual wealth to invest. But maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have that much money but you have a house or a car Everybody has something that's been given to, them to God, given to them by God that's worth investing. We all go through different seasons in life, and what I've learned is that every season has its challenge, but every challenge has its opportunities. Every season has challenges, but every challenge has opportunity. So what we need to do is we need to look at the season we're in and say, what has God given me? that I can invest in. Um, and and I, don't, I don't mean that lightly. I know some people's challenges that they face are more serious than mine. My challenges are getting my kids out the door for school on time in the morning. It's a challenge, trust me. But some people's challenges are health challenges that are life and death challenges or more significant financial challenges. Pe other people's challenges are more serious. I, I realize that. But that doesn't change the fact that that's also an opportunity. Um, about a year ago or so, I had COVID, um, and I was at home, laid up in, laid up in bed for uh, almost a week, just feeling terrible. I was just talking to, to Joshua about what that is like when you're just tired of laying down, but too tired to get up, and it was awful. But, you know, that week was a challenging week, but it was also an opportunity, because I honestly think that I prayed more to that week than I had in a long time because I had a lot of free time on my hands. It wasn't the most enjoyable prayer time. It was challenging, but it was an opportunity. I also spent more time with my family than I had in a long time because I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. A little bit challenging, but an aw awesome opportunity. So I invite you to think through what season are you in, 
What challenges are you facing? But what opportunities has God given you where you're at right now? So, like I mentioned earlier, I suffer from chronic tomorrowitis, and I find myself looking ahead, thinking, when I get to that place in life, things are going to be easier. I'm going to, you, I'll get more done. When I, when, I, you know, when I get to a better place in my career, or once my kids are, are a little more grown up, or I have a little more financial security, when I get there in life, that's when I'll be able to really really do what I want to do, what I'm called to do. You know, I'm always looking ahead. Um, but you know what's funny? Is I realize that I also sometimes look back at when I was younger. Before I had kids, maybe before I had a house, and I was like, I had so much free time in my life back then. Anybody relate to that? I had so much free time. Why didn't I do more back then? Why didn't I do what I really wanted to do and, and invest my time in important things Instead of just, I don't even know what I did with my time back then. Like, looking back, like, uh, well, I didn't make the most of what I had. And it makes me wonder, are there people who are older than me that are where I'm looking ahead to who are now looking back, same as I am, to where I'm at in life in this season and saying, man, I wish I was in this season that Ben is in because he has a lot of advantages. Or are there people who are, who are not yet where I'm at in life that are a season back and they're looking ahead to where I'm at and saying, oh, when I get to Ben's age, when I get to there, that's when I'll have whatever, more finances or I'll have a better job and I'll be able to do stuff. The point is this. Every season has challenges and every season has opportunities. Don't waste your time focusing on wishing you could go back or wishing you were further ahead. Focus on being faithful today. If you're keeping notes, that's the main point. Focus on being faithful today. It's time for us to stop wishing that we could go back to before COVID. It's time for us to stop wishing. I, we can't wait till we're past this. It's time for us to focus on what has God called us to, what has God given us today, right now. Challenges and opportunities. Look at verse 21 in, uh, in Matthew 25. This is, after, this is when the, the businessman, or it's the master probably in your Bibles there, the master calls the servants and for a report. And the first one says, well, you know, I doubled the money and, you know, here's, here's I have, have twice as much. Uh, I had five and now I have 10 talents. And what does he say? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in little. You have been faithful over little. So I want you to notice there, the word that appears twice is faithful. He doesn't say, well done, you doubled the money. He didn't say, well done, you made five talents. He said, well done, you have been faithful. The master's joy is based on faithfulness, not on returns. The master's joy is based on faithfulness. He's looking for you to be faithful. Not that you would do something incredible or have incredible returns or say like, look what I did with my money and my time and this is amazing. He's just looking for you to be faithful. I'll show you this. So this is where the, the master says um, to the first one who brought in, you know, brought in five talents. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a little. 
uh, will put you in charge of many things. So then, after that, he then turns to the one who only brought in two talents. And you can see he compares how he responds to the servant who made five compared to the servant who made two. So to the servant who only made two, he says something different. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over little. I will put you over much. He said the same thing. I tried to trick you. Did you guys catch that? He said the same thing to both of them. So whether you make five talents or you make two talents, he's going to say, well done for being faithful. He judges, he is, his joy is based on your faithfulness. Whatever season you find yourself in today, focus on being faithful in that. When I graduated high school, um, I went to Elam Bible Institute. It's in Lima, New York. Um, I studied the Bible, obviously, and uh, also some music classes. Uh, I took some like different ministry classes there. Had this sort of vague idea that I wanted to serve the Lord in some type of ministry, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Still don't really know what, but kind of like, all right, I feel like I want to do something with my life in this area. So I went to Elam. When I got done with Elam, wasn't sure what the next step was. I got a job working at a music store in Batavia. And I also began to volunteer quite a lot here at our church. I volunteered with our youth group, with our summer camp, um, with, uh, I was a deacon for a little bit. I, oh, um, we had a band, a Christian band, and we would write music and tour around and play. I did lots of like ministry types of things. But I always had my day job at the music store. And my mentality in those days was, well, thank God that he gave me this day job, um, that it just pays the bills so I can do what I was really, really want to do. You know, I'll just keep working here, and I'll make enough money, then I can focus the rest of my time on all the important things. And that's not a bad way to think about it, but God challenged me and to say, I've put you there for a reason. You're not just killing time while you're there. You know, I was always, always felt like, uh, you know, I can work there. I don't hate it at this music store, but I don't love it. It's not a career for me, and I can't wait to be done. Like, I can't wait for the day when I can quit this job and do what I really want. And I felt like God challenged me, like, be faithful as long as you're there. Be invested as long as you're there. And my attitude began to change, maybe slowly, but my attitude began to change when my perspective began to change. And I said, you know what? As long as God has me here, I'm going to be as faithful as I can. I'm going to do the best job that I can here. I'm going to legitimately invest myself in this store and in the employees who work here and the customers who work here. And, and, you know, I hope I'm not here forever, but even if I am, like, I'm going to serve God as best as I can in this place, as if this is the place he's called me to. And um, I don't work there anymore, but there's a lot of good things that came out of, um, of my time there. I learned how to start conversations with random people that are in the store, which is not a skill that I had before. Um, and so that's an important skill that I learned. I learned um, how to manage a, a budget and, and you know, pay attention to, to money and how much you're spending and, and paying and all this kind of stuff. I learned how to use a camera and how to create graphics and how to build a website. And I learned all of these skills that I'm telling you I use almost daily or weekly in my role now in ministry. That season that God spent there with me at the store, probably not where I have chosen, was an incredible learning ground. Once I 
began to apply myself to be faithful, there was a lot of things that I learned, a lot of important things. But that's not the best part. The best part is he was pleased because I was faithful. I'd love to tell you that like, yeah, I worked at that music store for 10 years and then I planted a church in Batavia or I earned a million dollars and gave it away or I prayed for a blind guy and he got healed. I'd love to tell you that something incredible happened because I served there for 10 years, but that's not the case. That's okay because listen, hear me. Sometimes being faithful today can feel insignificant, but don't be afraid ever Don't ever be afraid to invest yourself in little things. You hear me? Don't ever be afraid to invest yourself in little things. Just because something seems insignificant doesn't mean that it's not worth your focus. Doesn't mean it's not worth what God, it's not what God's called you to. Let's look really quickly at the third servant, okay? First two, they double their, their, the master's investment. He says, good job, well done. The third servant comes and he says, well, you know, I knew that you're a tough businessman. I know that you really wanted a lot of money. And I was afraid. You see that word in there? He says, I was afraid. So I went and I hid the money. I mean, can you see the irony there? He was afraid that he wasn't going to earn enough. So he hid it where it earned nothing. <laughs> and the businessman actually says that to him. Like, why didn't you at least invest it and make a tiny bit of something? Why did you hide it? The truth is, Fear of failure can make us do really stupid things, right? And it's easy to, to, to judge the servant in this parable and say, well, that guy's an idiot. Why did he do that? But honestly, come on. We do some of the same things, don't we? Um, we're, f- we're afraid that the time we have, the money we have, the whatever, the skills we have, it's not really significant. It's not really going to accomplish much, so why do anything, right? We all do this. Sometimes looking for one perfect moment can steal your focus from a hundred other moments that could be just as good. Like sometimes I'm like, I need to have a good conversation with this person and I'm looking for the right moment to have this conversation when like they're in a good mood and I'm in a good mood and, and I keep looking for that right moment and then years go by and I never talk to them. And it's ridiculous. I could have just pulled them aside and said, hey, this is not the right moment but I need to talk to you. And we... It's not perfect, so I'm not going to say anything. You know, don't raise your hand because I want you to embarrass yourself. But how many of you have said, like, I'm going to start working out? Not today, maybe tomorrow. I'm going to start working out. But then what happens is you say, you know, I don't really have time to make it to the gym today. Don't raise your hands. (laughs) You you say, you know what, I don't really have time to make it to the gym today. I don't have time for the full workout, so I'll do nothing. (laughs) You know I can't even, I don't have time for a full thing, so nothing. Um, You know, I need to let my wife know that I love her. I really need to tell her how much I love her. But I can't really afford anything from the jewelry store. I don't have time to swing by the flower shop, so I'll do nothing. Um, I want to grow closer to God. I want to, like, build my relationship with God. The church has given us this monthly devotional. We're supposed to read a chapter of the Bible and then write some, answer some questions in a little booklet. But I don't like reading that much. It takes a long time for me to read a chapter. I don't have time to read a chapter and answer questions, so I'll do nothing. Do you know what I mean? We, like, if we can't get something that feels significant, then we just do nothing. Just like the guy who was afraid and he hid his, hid his money. 
Fear of failure can cripple your faith if you let it. So don't ever let fear stop you from investing yourself in little things. Because little things can make a huge difference if you're faithful today. I mean, it could be just saying, I love you to your daughter when you put her to bed at night. It's a tiny little thing. It takes a few seconds. But maybe that little thing can make a huge difference. Maybe it's taking a minute to send a text message to your dad. How long does it take, song, long does it take to send a text message? Say, hey, thinking about you, how are you? Maybe it's on your lunch break. You take five minutes to spend with Jesus instead of reading the news or scrolling through whatever. Maybe there are little moments that we can focus on today. Maybe I can't change the world today. Maybe I, you can't fix all the problems. But what's one thing I can focus on today? I once had a friend who told me that it was his goal to do at least one push-up today. Uh, do at least one push-up a day. And of course, being a guy, I of course made fun of him. Like, are you serious? My grandma does one push-up a day. That's, that's it? Come on, give yourself a goal, man. Like 25 or something. Like, really? One? Uh, but I apologize, though, um, because... He actually has a lot of wisdom in what he was saying. He's saying, like, if I'm set a goal of doing 25 push-ups a day, that would be awesome. I could probably do that. But inevitably, there's going to come a day when I have an excuse when I can't do 25, right? I'm busy this morning. I'm really tired. I don't know. My arms are, my arms are sore. Like, I, I just can't do 25 today. And so there's an ex- you come with an excuse why you can't do it. If you set a goal of, make, of doing one push-up, there's no excuse for not doing one push-up, at, at least for, for this friend of mine. Um, physically, it would be no problem for him to do one push-up. So it's like, if that's your goal, there's no excuse for not meeting that goal. And you know what? As long as you're on the floor doing a push-up, you might as well do a few more, right? And it kind of gets you going, and that's your goal. I had another friend who actually heard this story, and he made a goal of, I'm going to read just one Bible verse a day, or at least one Bible verse a day. And... I made fun of him. I said, are you seriously? One Bible verse a day, that's it? You can't read a 10, 20, a chapter? Come on! <laughs> but um, no, I, I uh, of course apologize to him as well. I don't, I don't make fun of all my friends like that. And again, there's a lot of wisdom in that and saying, you know what? I'm going to read at least one Bible verse a day because we're all busy, but there is not a person in this room You can't tell me that you're so busy, you don't have time to pull out your phone and look up one Bible verse in a day. If you're that busy, you have a problem in your your schedule, okay? And so there's no excuse not to read at least one verse. And then once you have your Bible open and you're reading one verse, well, maybe you'll read another one. You know what I mean? Do something. So trust me, I am not against big goals, okay? Trust me, that's not what I'm saying here. All I'm saying is if you don't think you can make a big goal, don't be afraid to invest yourself in little things. And I promise I won't make fun of you if you do. But don't be afraid to say, you know what? This is all I can do. I'm going to do this one little thing. All I'm challenging you to do is be faithful with what God has given you today. So I'm going to give you just a quick moment to respond to this. I'm going to ask you a question and just think about it. What has God given you that he wants you to invest in. Hopefully something's coming to your mind right now. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a skill you have. Maybe it's something you own. 
What's God given you that he wants you to be faithful with today? And then take a moment, once, once that's kind of come to your mind, and just have a quick conversation with him and say, Jesus, I want to be faithful in this area. I want to be more faithful with this right now. I want to focus on this. Jesus, please forgive us if we have ever been wasteful with our time, if we have ever been too focused on the past or the future. Uh, And we pray for your grace to help us to improve, help us to focus more on the gifts you've given us today. I pray that you would bless the investments that we make for everyone in this room who's, who's making a decision right now. I'm going to focus on, on something. I pray you would bless that investment, Lord, in, in families and in, in health and in uh, finances and in relationships and in jobs, Lord. I pray for your blessing on your people. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Everyone together said? Amen. Amen. All right.